Mm. I'm so glad I get to be with you guys today. Wasn't here last week, so I had to watch the service to feel close. Um, and how our Father series ended uh, was really cool, really cool. And I hope you you gleaned something from it because it is crucial that we understand we don't have relationship with just this being or orb in the sky, this powerful, ominous creature that we hope not to tick off so that we can not get in trouble or destroyed. We have relationship with someone who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. And some of us in this room love ourselves a lot. But we serve a Father God who loves us and emptied heaven to reconcile with us, gave up his most cherished relationship, gave up his son so that he might call not only his son, but you, his children. Jesus being the first among many children. That is, pardon my commonness, that is dope. There you go, it's cool. I, you keep saying stuff, I'm gonna make you preach for me, but that is cool. That is so cool that like God is our Father. And, and Judah touched on this a little bit last week that, it might have been the week before, I've been listening to both sermons on loop, <laughs> so I might reference something from week one thinking it was week two, but it was all there, that we bring in so much baggage into this relationship with the Father because our earthly fathers, try as they might, failed to truly give a perfect picture of who the Lord is. So as a result, we sometimes enter this relationship with fear and anxiety and nerves and angst and distrust because we're thinking that we're dealing with our earthly father or our boss or someone who is far lower than the most high God. And so we don't enjoy the fullness of the relationship because of all this trepidation. And we got to throw that away. Every day he's meeting with us, hoping we'll discard who we think he is and accept fully who he truly is. Every day, you get a chance to swap out your perception of God and take the reality. The reality will set you free. The perception, you'll still remain in bondage. Your picture of him isn't good enough. So we have to accept him fully as he is. And I say all of that coming to this message with baggage, right? Because my relationship with my dad is pretty good. But there are moments, there are moments where I try him or he tries me and where we show our humanity and so I sometimes bring, even when I look at the Father, I sometimes bring my relationship with Franklin Erla Daniel to the picture, to the conversation. And I got a good dad. So if he's listening, Pops, I'm not about to blast you. I got a good dad. But he's not perfect. 
He's human. And there have been times where he has said or done things that have hurt me, and I know that there have been times where I've said or done things that have hurt him. And so even I have to discard, like just because I'm the preacher or the teacher of the hour doesn't mean I don't have to discard things as well. We have some garbage that's bumbling around in our mind and in our heart. Bumbling is not a word. This is something I said. Don't get lost there. But we have some stuff juggling or bouncing. There we go. Bouncing is the word I like. Bouncing around in our heads about who the Father is that we just have to get rid of. So are you ready to do that today? Ready to throw that away? Good. So the next two weeks, we're going to uh, go through a series They don't have this in the back, so it won't be on the screen, but there'll be a fancy slide next week, I promise, uh, called The Family Affair, okay? No, we're not going to be preaching about Mary J. Blige, for those who know what that reference is, but we are going to talk about how we're family with the Most High God, and when we understand that he's our father, it should change our posture as we approach him in prayer, to change our posture as we approach him in asking what is it we should do next, how we should behave, conduct ourselves with other believers. It should change what we prioritize in the church if we truly get that he's our father. So Judah's done a great job at explaining who the father is to us, what that relationship is. And all this year, we've tried as elders and teachers to um, really just dig into how we understand the father's ways. And this is just more of that but now it's kind of shifting a little bit, not the overall year, year series, not the overall year thought, but just for these two weeks, I, I kind of want to talk about how that should impact how we approach him. We, we know his ways. We're starting to learn them. We're being reconnected to them. But how does it change? How does it change how you approach him? Because if we truly know his ways, can we say that we should be coming to him in fear or in prayer at the end of the day when we have missed the mark? Right. We talked about this, that There are times when we've done something we shouldn't do, and when we approach him, it's like, okay, we're going to give this a shot. Okay. And it sounds ridiculous, but that's how we approach him. That's the posture of our heart. Like, something's going to, he's going to expose this or that. He's going to whoop me. And so if we're starting to learn his ways, we have to change our approach towards him. And when we come to him, Come with boldness, because that's what we're told to do, but also come with a trust that he loves us. There's no fear in our approach towards him. If there's any fear, we don't know his ways. If there's any distrust, we still have to examine and learn him. I found this right before I started. Um, I just thought this was cool, and and I understand the original context doesn't necessarily reflect uh, the elders and teachers in this room, but I think it's, it's the heart of those who teach here. And so I'm going to read this because I think this is really cool. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3 says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. 
These things we write so that our joy may be complete. We don't teach on Sundays or gather for meetings just so that you can become Bible scholars. What we're trying to accomplish is you having a more perfect relationship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That you would draw an intimacy towards him. That our joy might be complete as we watch your joy be complete because you get closer with him. That there's no wall, no barrier between you and the Father any longer. If we accomplish that and nothing else, Alan, Bob, Judah, myself, and anybody who's invited to speak has been successful. If you get closer to him. So I, I read that, I just thought, man, like I know I didn't see with my own eyes the works of the Lord, but I have certainly tasted, I've seen, I, 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 I have known it in a way that maybe is not physical, but I, I know what it is to, to relinquish myself over to him, to, to fully trust him. I don't always walk in it, but I know what it is. I want to walk in it more. And if all of us can just walk in that, I'm successful today. Now, we're going to come at this whole family affair thing this week from a position of adoption. And so we're actually going to look at a story that on its face is not about adoption, but talks about what our relationship is with him. So we're actually going over the story of the prodigal son. And so if you're one that's taking notes, we're going to be going to Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Now, how many of you are familiar with this story? Or at least think you're familiar. Raise your hand. You're really proud of it, I know. Okay. So in this story, what happens? Oh, I should have prepared you. I'm going to ask people to talk. So anybody who feels comfortable, do not feel pressured. I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm not going to point at anybody. But anybody who feels comfortable, what, what happens in this story? Give me like a 35-second synopsis. What is the story of the prodigal son? I'm looking down so I don't put anybody on the spot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, no, there's not a hand. Okay, I saw a face. It looked like a hand, so I was like, okay, there's a volunteer. We'll keep waiting. Somebody will be brave. What is the story of the prodigal son? Thank you, Val. We're still going to read it, but thank you. That's a wonderful synopsis. I've been reading it a lot this week, and I agree with about 97% of what Val said. But we'll talk about what I disagree with in a moment. There's no issue. Like, we're good. <laughs> You're like, what did I do wrong? I'm never volunteering again. No, no, no. There's no issue. 
This is something new that, like, again, we, we visit Scripture, and what happens is I tell you we're going to preach about, or I'm going to teach about this, and you go, I can tune out this week. I know this story. This is old. When's he going to read the new stuff? There is nothing new. <laughs> it's the same book, people. Like, I'm going to read something that one of you has read before. But thanks be to God, we have Holy Spirit who brings new revelation when we come across a text. So it's not that I disagree because you said something wrong. It's I see something differently here that I think speaks to our understanding of our relationship with the Father and how we should approach him. Make sense? Okay. So we're going to read, and it's a lot. So bear with me. So uh, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, it says, And he said, this is Jesus, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to, to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything or giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. They began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to him, to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet... You have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This is better than any Netflix series you can binge right now. Apple TV doesn't have a story of redemption like this. Val summed it up that a son squanders away his inheritance and his birthright with loose living. We won't get into the details of the loose living because we have some younger folks around. But he squanders it doing whatever you see on TikTok. We'll just sum it up as he did TikTok things. Okay, we'll sum it up with that. He was doing, tic, he was doing those things that those people do, that you judge, those people. He was doing those things. And I think it's interesting because as I was studying the text, I thought to myself, wow, like, has this story ever been told before? And it made me think of Esau, who, while loose living wasn't the issue, he squandered away his birthright. And not for loose living, but for soup. I mean, what? Like, Tom, did you make this soup? Because this had to be some good soup for him to say, eh, my future, my relationship with you, my position, I'll need that. The soup's amazing. That's right, a good soup. What type of soup do you think it was? It wasn't chicken noodle, because that's, I mean, again, if you like chicken noodle, but I imagine it being like a, a ham and split pea type soup or something, like something hearty, something that sticks to the bones, where Esau gives away everything for some food. He gives away his birthright. And so this prodigal son who remains unnamed, but if you feel like the shoe fits, put your name in there. This prodigal son gives away his position with the father to chase pleasure, to chase what the world has to offer, to chase position in the world's eyes. And while it sounds crazy that somebody would do it, that's what we were when we were enemies of God. Before we had relationship with him, we were off in a distant land chasing after things that felt right in the moment. Some of them were bad, like really bad, like everyone could agree that was bad. And some of the things we chased weren't so bad. They were actually quite good, right? You chased a better job, more money, a nicer house. Not all the time are we chasing things that are evil, but all the same, anything outside of chasing after the father, is worthless. In the Old Testament, it'd be called meaningless. Just a vapor passing by, no substance. We chase after things that seem so important. Friends, I want to sell a million bottles of beard oil, but it doesn't matter a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. You want to sell wood to everybody. Listen, everybody has something they want to do. Sam wants to make things beautiful. Listen, we got all these different things we want, but at the end of the day, we won't trade any of it for the Father because all of it is worthless. 
So we can pursue certain things, but we have to make sure we always keep it in context. Our relationship with the Father cannot be compared to anything else. And to make that deal is foolish. For my brothers and sisters, because I'm going to say sisters too, because I know some of y'all play Madden. For my brothers and sisters, if you've ever played Madden and you try to do that trade, right, where you try to trade uh, players, okay, the system will tell you if a trade doesn't work because maybe the money on both sides doesn't equate. Anytime we find ourselves trading our relationship with the Father, our intimacy with him for anything else, the equation doesn't work. The trade can't go through. And yet we still keep trying to do it by pursuing all of these different things that we shouldn't pursue. And so this prodigal son that you might want to judge because you're reading the text and going, he is stupid. (laughs) He is us. I have found myself reading the text differently over the last few years because I've stopped seeing myself as perfect. And so when I read about Peter falling in the water or denying Jesus three times, and I used to go... I'd never do that. He's corny. If Jesus is going to die, I'm going to die too. I've started to realize I'm not that tough. I'm not that bold. And so when I read about these characters' moral failings, I'm now reading myself into it, not because I wish to be condemned, because I'm not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. But I read it with a level of empathy I lacked before. So when we read this story, you can read it and go, this guy's a knucklehead. Or you can say, wow, anytime I've chased anything other than the father, I have looked like this. Now, what are the father's ways? Because that's what we're trying to learn here, people. We're not just having an entertaining time with Donovan. We're trying to understand the father's ways. So how does the father respond to him? Somebody other than vow. How does the father respond to this son who comes back to him? Say it again. With compassion. compassion. How else does he address him? Yes. With open arms. arms. Nobody's going to mention the 40-yard dash? Celebration. Celebration. With sprinting. Understand, this is, like, you, when you understand the context of the story, it, it, it makes this seem even more remarkable. Jewish men weren't running back then to go run to no slave, servant, or somebody who did them wrong. The father debased himself by running after the son. That's something we have to note. That is huge. That the father didn't wait for him to come, even though that would have been protocol and culturally appropriate. The father says, bump all that. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want to get to him faster. I don't want to delay this reconciliation any longer. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want to embrace my son. That's how our father responds to us. That is his way. God has a way of reconciliation and redemption and reclamation. God will never cast you aside. If you move towards him, he will accept you. But he only accepts you, not because you really, really want him to, but because you approach him through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the only way you get this embrace. Otherwise, you might get the stiff arm going back to Madden. You only approach him through Christ. So the father runs and he he reclaims him. But here's where the disagreement comes in. So I know you were thinking, you're writing down like, where does Donovan disagree with me? I feel like I gave a very comprehensive answer. Here's where I disagree. I don't think he came to himself when he was in that sloppy pit. I don't think he came to himself then. 
I know the text says it. So some of you guys are like, ooh, he's disagreeing with the red letter. That's more of narrative. I'm, I'm telling you just how I see it. I think he still didn't get it even when he got back to the father. And why do you think I think that? Well, I think that because when he gets to the father, he's still trying to earn the relationship. He's talking about how he no longer deserves it. So do you think he really captured and understood fully the love and the way of God in the, in the pit? I don't think so. He recognized his lack. He recognized his debasement. He recognized his separation. He realized his situation was not nearly as good as it could have been. He was still in a place of comparison. Alan has everything in God, and I don't have anything. He was still approaching the situation wrong. He was still trying to earn it. He was willing to accept something less than what the father had for him. So you tell me, did he really come to himself? Well, maybe. But he certainly didn't come to a realization of who God is. Because, see, this isn't just a story about three people. This is a picture for us of how we must approach the father. And when you approach the father, do you come to him with deals and offers and ways to subvert needing his son to cleanse you? Do you have a full understanding of what Jesus has accomplished, what we'll celebrate in just a week and a half, or do you approach it still with a, God, I know I messed up, and if you could just give me, like, crumbs, because I'm willing to settle for crumbs? He wants to give us more. He's given us the bread of life, and you want crumbs. You're willing to accept less because you're still focused on your sin and not on his holiness. Still focused on your sin and not his love. So I don't think the prodigal son got it until he got there. I don't think he got it until he saw his father running. Because just as fast as I could say, wow, like he debased himself, if I know that because of quick study, I would imagine the son knows their culture far more. Why is dad running at me? Oh, my gosh, he about to beat my behind. Like, ooh, this is about to get ugly. I've never seen dad sprint before. He took off his sandals. He probably was in a position of, oh, my gosh, this can go bad. And then the father gets there, and he's hugging him and kissing him and embracing him. And friends, the prodigal son was probably dirty. Like, I don't think he stopped at, you know, a Holiday Inn Express and showered first and made himself acceptable. He was still filthy and worthless in his own eyes and in all of ours. And the father still embraces him the way he does. And so I think at that moment, he had to have said, okay, I'm starting to get this. But he still puts his foot in his mouth because he says, hey, just make me as one of your hired hands. Give me less. I'll take whatever, I'll take whatever you got. Now realizing he has so much more. How often, maybe it's just me in the room, do we accept less than what God fully has for us because we're still so focused on our degradation, our sin, our worthlessness, instead of his holiness, his power, his grace towards us, and his ways. How often are we accepting less in this room? Now, I hope I'm the only one, but I don't think I am. I hope I'm the only one, but I don't think I am. 
I think a lot of us still approach him accepting 2% of what he has to offer. And Judah talked about last week or the last two weeks about how there's so much more available in this father relationship. We only want to see him as the creator, the powerful orb, the big guy in the sky who may deal well with us if he feels like it. Not recognizing he's offering father and son relationship. He's offering run after you, embrace you, kiss you, love you, even though you don't deserve it type of vibes. This is something we need to accept fully. And then we need to every day say, Lord, teach me more about this relationship. Unveil this dynamic to me more. Reveal it more because we don't just get it because we read one passage on Sunday, April 3rd. He has to reveal the fullness of this relationship. It's far more complex than just us understanding it from a daddy-son dynamic, from a I did wrong and you forgave me dynamic. There's so much more. This is just where it starts, that he accepts you completely. He still has to transform us, and he's doing it every day as we meet with him. Every day we're becoming more of the children of God that we already are. Every day we're becoming more of who he's already called us. So every day he has something to show us, but it starts with understanding, hey, your dirtiness isn't the focus of the story. How many times have we read this story and we just focused on how corny and crummy and terrible this son was, missing the fact that the father's love is so amazing? It is wonderful, and it's not our idea. The son didn't come to him with an idea of being reclaimed fully. The son came to him with less. Our understanding of or our, our salvation that we receive from the father, it's not our idea. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 points this out. Because our idea, again, we've established is weak at best. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. The son could not have worked off any amount of debt. The son couldn't have made it right. There's nothing the son could have done to make his relationship with the father truly restored. It says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast... For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we weren't just clean, kissed, and put a new robe on just so that we can hang out for the rest of our days. Next week, we'll dig more into what it means to now behave like a son and to enter into the family business. But this week, we got to just focus on the fact that, hey, we're a part of the family. These past two weeks, we've heard it, and maybe you haven't accepted it fully. Maybe you still haven't fully embraced it, but I'm telling you today, if you walk away simply saying, I'm not going to focus on my sin, but his holiness, you've won. I'm going to focus on his goodness and not my terribleness, you've won, because that's where it starts. Our gaze, our focus, our look, our staring, our, our concentration, our study, our, our reliance must be on who he is as father. Nothing else. Esau couldn't get his birthright back. You can. 
Esau couldn't get his blessing back. Deception stole that. You can. This story is great. And if you read it before and took it for granted, I'm telling you, friends, don't do that any longer. This is your story. This isn't fictional. This is our family. And we've seen reconciliation in our family for generations. And now it's our turn to enjoy this reconciliation. And the family business is such, sneak peek, of us now helping others to enter into this reconciliation. We've been reconciled to reconcile others. Not because of us being amazing, but because we point to the one who we can walk into a father-son relationship with. We're to present Jesus. He's not just walking into Jerusalem with people saying, Hosanna. He needs to walk into our conversations, our attitudes, our behaviors, our relationships, where we usher Jesus in, and then people get set free. That's the family business. Not just us knowing a lot of scripture, not just us going to church, not just us voting a certain way and then saying, I'm really Christian. It's about us reconciling people that are lost and far off because someone entered the family business to help us come into the family. So this is what the father and the son do. Their joy is complete as they draw their children back to them. And so our joy must be complete because we draw our colleagues, our clients, our students, our employees, our customers, our neighbors, our cousin that we can't stand. We draw them closer, not with our judgment, but with our recognition that when we look towards the Father, he looks at us with love. We got to point that out to people. Again, Esau couldn't get it back. You can. Now, Val, you said that the older son was lowered in his own eyes. Full agreement. Thank you for that. The older son had a reality check. But what I find interesting is the older son, I don't think really understood the father's heart either. I think we give him too much of a pass because we just say, well, he did everything that the father wanted him to. But is it about the doing or the being? See, because he was doing all the right stuff, but when the father operates in what I would have believed to be his, his way. I don't think he just up and said, today I'm going to be a person of reconciliation. Today I'm going to love. Oh, wait, there goes my son. I don't think that's something he just thought of in the moment. The father intended to do that when he was there waiting for his son to appear. That was his heart. That was his posture. And so the older son was doing all the right stuff and yet didn't know that the father's heart was to reconcile the other brother. I think some of us maybe don't relate to the younger son. Maybe we identify with the older brother. I do everything right. But those heathens over there don't. For some, that's your posture. You don't say it out loud, but you say it with your eyes. I've seen some of the looks. I've given some of the looks. <laughs> mm -hmm. I ain't talking about just you. But if we have the Father's heart, we don't give people those looks. 
We don't look with contempt at people. We don't see people as unable to be redeemed. We don't see them as in a perpetual state of loss. We see them as people who have not yet known the Father, but still have the opportunity to do so. We want people to be reconciled to the Father as much as the Father wants to reconcile people to him. That's the family business. Do you want what the Father wants, or do you just want to look good in your own eyes? See, because whether you want to focus on your sin or you want to focus on your righteousness, the focus is incorrect. If you want to focus on what you haven't done, you missed it. If you want to focus on all the things you have done, you missed it. Both of them missed the opportunity to look at the father and appreciate the relationship for what it was. The younger son saw his fa- the father's provision and said, that's all I want. I don't want him as provider, which we combed through f- recently. The older son says, why would he be a provider to him? So he didn't understand the father's posture, his ways, his heart. We need to address these things so that our family could be whole. In this room right now, we have younger and older sons who have to change the way they look at the situation. We have to change how we examine the father because we can't help anybody out there unless we figure it out in here. If your gaze is incorrect, you will enter the world as an older son or you'll continue to live and pursue like the younger one. Do you have the father's heart? Do you have the father's heart to his lost and faraway children? Do you desire to love them as he does? Will you give yourself some grace as he has? Because the constant beating up of yourself or others is not his heart. It's not his way. And family, we need to love his ways because his ways are best. Our ways are trash. It's not just our righteousness that says filthy rags. Our ways, our thoughts, our perspectives compared to his, trash, rubbish, get rid of it. I love the fact that Romans 8 paints a really good picture for anybody who, and this is where we'll start to wrap, for anybody who thinks that they're too far gone. And you might be thinking, well, they're here today. Why would they think they're too far gone? Like, the people at Word of Grace don't subscribe to condemnation, right? Nobody here struggling with their position in the Lord, right? Kelly, no one's struggling, right? But Romans 8 gives us this really cool picture. And I think if the older son recognized this, if the younger son recognized this, we might have been able to skip over this whole circumstance. So I'm going to read verse 15, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 31 through 39. Verse 15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. It's what the younger son thought when he came back. 
But instead, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, what? Abba, Father. Sorry, I said cry out and you guys whispered it. Uh, We've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Now, I'm not just having you say that for effect. I'm having you say that because I want you to get comfortable with saying it. Some of us have not grown up being comfortable with calling God our father. And yet that's what he came to do. And Jesus, as Judah mentioned, paid an incredibly high price for us to be able to do it. So if we're not doing it, we waste it. What Jesus suffered for. And I, friends, do not want to waste it any longer. My Savior paid a high price for me to say, Abba, Father. So when I approach him in prayer, I should be approaching him that way. You should be approaching him as daddy. And not in the dynamic of the relationship you have with your earthly father. I mean with a perfect, blameless, holy, loving, amazing, comfortable, patient father. Whatever superlative, whatever compliment you want to give him, it's not enough. But that type of father, that's what we get to have. Skipping down to verse 31, for those who feel like they squandered it, which is sometimes me, it reads, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with, with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? I'll wait. Who? Nobody. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? I'll wait. Nobody. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Not even us. That's what the younger son didn't know, but I want you to walk out of here knowing. Who will separate us from the love? No one. That's why we remember what he has done. This isn't just some spiritual practice. This is a reminder. We have been instructed to remember that no one can separate us because of what he gave up. Because of what was sacrificed, because of what he endured and he didn't have to, we will never be separated from his love. That don't get you excited. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly, or we overwhelmingly conquer. Which, nice jacket, by the way. You guys can see it later. Pay attention. (laughs) Through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is an exciting thing. And if we fully accept it, our posture towards him will look different. And if we fully accept it, our posture towards everyone else will look different. This family has to look different. We've had disgruntled families before. That season's over with. This family looks different when we recognize that nothing, no one, not even you, can separate us from the love of God. That sounds like a really good father, amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for loving us. We will not take our eyes off of you. Father, we are grateful that we get to call you Abba. We will not cease from calling you Daddy. Thank you, Lord, for throwing away all of our past, all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, so that we might enjoy a relationship unencumbered. No walls, no barriers, no separation. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to know you more every day. God, I prayed this morning that people would come here and whether they felt super close or far away, that they would take a step towards you. God, I am confident that has happened. I am grateful that you made that happen. Not my words, but your spirit beckoning beckoning us ever close. I thank you for those who took steps towards you. I thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate your perfect work during communion today. And I thank you for you being broken so we no longer have to be. Thank you for making us family. In the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. And all of God's children say, amen. Thank you, family. Amen. All right. Um, If you haven't had